Is this world broken? That's the question that we're going to be dealing with tonight as we continue our series through Romans 8. That's Paul's letter to the Romans chapter 8. Is this world broken? Uh, Happy Father's Day. I imagine like many other fathers who have toddlers, you've heard your child come screaming to you, it's broke Uh, this past week, my... uh, wife and I were moving from our apartment on the north side of Chicago down to the south side of Chicago. And so as things move, you know, you hear crashes and toys get bended. And multiple times in this week alone, I was able to hear my daughter cry out, it's broke. But I was able to turn to her and tell her, no, no, Miha, it's it's not broken. Uh, I can fix it. But there's a question. Is this world fixable? Is this world broken or, or can it be fixed? Paul, the Apostle Paul, who writes this letter to the Romans, seems to say that, that this world is broken. He's experienced the depth of this world's brokenness. Look no further uh, than Romans 8 verse 18, where he talks about how he considers the sufferings of this present time. Now, sufferings of this present time, you wonder, well, well, well what is it, Paul? What, what sufferings do you have? What first world problems can you complain of, as the saying goes? But if you look at 2 Corinthians 11, you actually see a lot of Paul's problems. In 2 Corinthians 11, for example, Paul talks about having been shipwrecked. Paul talks about having been beaten and thrown into prison and, and having such a, a crazy, difficult life. And yet, nevertheless, for the apostle Paul, Paul, brokenness does not necessarily lead to hopelessness. If you have a Bible, again, open it up to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, where we're going to see that brokenness does not need to lead to hope, uh, hopelessness. And in our text today, what I think, I think you're going to see is if, if you agree with this idea that the world is broken, one, you are right, two, you're not alone, and three, you're in for a surprise. What do you say? Let's look at that first idea together. If you think this world is broken, you're right. I'm looking at Romans 8 verses 18 to to 22. You can read with me. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. You see, Paul doesn't see the brokenness of creation as circumstantial. Rather, Paul sees brokenness as a pandemic. 
all of creation, he says, is, is subject to decay. And, and Paul says the reason for this subjection is because of sin. Now, I know some people are like, wait, so you're saying that because I told a lie when I'm 10, when I was 10, the, the whole world is subject to sin? No, 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 that, that, that's not what, what, what he's saying. You see, oftentimes when we think of that word sin, we think of it in individual contexts, but rather the Bible talks about sin in a very different way. The Bible says that, that sin is not just one thing we do. It's not a disease that's passed on from one action to another. Rather, that sin is an airborne infectious disease that has affected all of creation. You see, sin uh, is what was introduced to this world, and it affected not only uh, other people, but it affected everything. Need proof? Well, here's a just uh, four numbers for you. 2020. <laughs> 2020 is proof, I think, enough of the corruption of creation. The coronavirus has, has already killed at least 470,000 people globally. Uh, the UN World Food Program estimates that in 2020, 55 countries are at risk of moderate to severe famine. And then in the U.S., recently we were introduced to this new weird idea called murder hornets. I mean, creation is groaning. Creation is, is corrupted. And friends, humans, we, we, humans are a part of that creation. I feel like in 2020, we're groaning, especially here in our city of Chicago, especially here in the, the U.S., as we see racial injustice, injustice highlighted by the murders of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and Breonna Taylor. We, we see inequity as areas that were already considered food deserts on the south and west side of our city have their remaining food sources taken away by riots. And if you're a Christian in the U.S., we groan finding that we fit less and less in a culture of decaying ethics and morals. Here's what I want to tell you tonight, friends. Christianity is not escapism. You see, it's, it's, it's core to Christianity that we groan. I, I fear for many churches today that are unwilling to, to lean into groaning, that are unwilling to, to sing songs of lament, churches that are allergic to sorrow and, and preach that Jesus wants you to rejoice with those who rejoice, but don't you dare ever weep with those who weep because Christians don't weep. You see, there's a, a brand of Christianity that, that preaches this kind of gospel. It's, it's called the prosperity gospel. They say, if you give more, you'll get more. Sow $20 of seed and God will give you 40. Uh, if you are sick or ill, it's because you, you lack faith. One popular prosperity gospel preacher got famous telling you that if, if you're a Christian, you can and should live your best life now, but that's not the way Paul saw it. Yes, Christianity is a religion of joy, but Christianity should never pretend to be immune to the sufferings of this world. Christianity, rather, is the answer to the sufferings of this world. Therefore, sometimes the most Christian thing you can do is groan. That word's a big deal in this text that we're looking at tonight. Creation groans, 
we groan. Later, we're going to see that, that God groans. And we, we groan because we recognize that things are not the way that they're supposed to be. We groan because of sickness and death. We groan because of racism and inequality. We groan because of biological and cultural corruption. Friends, if you are in Christ, I want to tell you tonight, don't ignore it. You see, when you ignore it, you're, you're preaching a false gospel with your life. And not only that, you're actually preaching an irrelevant gospel. There's a, an old saying that was used to, to mock Christians. I imagine you may have heard it, that they're so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. Friends, if you are truly heavenly minded, you would be the most earthly good. You see, earthly-minded people send thoughts and prayers, but heavenly-minded people should be about prayer and action in the midst of groaning. You see, heavenly-minded people do, as Isaiah 1 describes, in saying that, that we are to learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause, which all involves groaning. Anything less is a false and irrelevant gospel. Before I came in staff at the Moody Church, I worked for a few years for an organization called Johnny and Friends, uh, helping urban churches to engage people with disabilities. And every year we would take a, a group of families out to a retreat and bring volunteers with us. And when we brought those volunteers, we trained them for a few days. And I'll, I won't forget uh, one, one time when we had a child who joined us, a family who joined us with a child who, who used a feeding tube. They couldn't eat any food orally. One of our volunteers who was matched with this child to be the buddy for the week wanted to get this child hyped about all that was going to be in store for them throughout this first day. And so they told them all these things and led it up, which is such excitement saying, and at the end of the day, we're going to have an ice cream party. Now, for this child with a feeding tube, an ice cream party didn't mean anything. They couldn't eat anything orally. And so friends, the good news that this buddy was sharing actually became irrelevant. When we share the gospel, when we preach the gospel without being willing to enter into other people's sorrow, when we're unwilling to recognize the brokenness of this world and rather only focus on the good and the happy, friends, we preach an irrelevant gospel and a false gospel. The Bible's not like this. It speaks to brokenness. It speaks to sorrow. So, so, so hear the words of Rosie Greer. It's all right to cry. It, it might be the most Christian thing you could do. You see, when, when Christians cry, it's not because we have lost hope. Rather, a Christian's tears preach. They preach that the world is broken. You see, if you think this world is broken, you're right. But also, if you, if you think this world is broken, you're not alone. That's the good news for us. If you think this world is broken, you're not alone. Perhaps I should say more accurately, you don't have to be alone. 
You see, if, if you're a Christ follower, the promise given to you is that you're not alone. There's a, been a pandemic raging across our country for the last couple of months. I don't need to tell you that. That's why you're watching this service online instead of in person. It's a, it's a biological pandemic, the spread of COVID-19. But I'd like to suggest that there's another pandemic that started prior to this one and has been continuing in and with it, there's a scene in one of my favorite sitcoms, NBC's The Office, where the boss, Michael Scott, is driving his car into the parking lot and accidentally uh, hits one of his employees, Meredith, breaking her pelvis. Uh, when she goes to the hospital, though, in a weird twist of events, she finds out that her biggest problem isn't actually a, a broken pelvis, but rather that she has rabies and she needed to be treated for this. I think that's a little bit what's, what's going on with COVID right now. COVID-19 is, is devastating and disrupting our world, but it's brought attention to another pandemic that has been plaguing our world for some time. Not a, another biological pandemic, but a social one. Loneliness. One uh, Stanford psychologist reflecting on a trend they've seen highlighted by social distancing said, internet-related technologies are great at giving us the perception of connectedness, but constant virtual connections can often amplify the feelings of loneliness. A sociologist named Sherry Turkle, who wrote a book titled Alone Together, writes that for the average American, Texting puts people not too close, not too far, but at just the right distance. The world is now full of modern Goldilockses, people who take comfort in being in touch with a lot of people whom they also keep at bay. Listen, we're, we're all very good at maintaining our incredible loneliness. Netflix, Hulu, Disney+, Amazon Prime, and whatever streaming service you have available. Uh, with it, there's no reason to, to pause and reflect. Rather, we can just self-medicate with amusement. So to groan to God in our suffering can seem foreign. To pray seems weak and arduous as we're, as we're not used to connecting with others on a deeper level. So you, you can't imagine even the words that you'd come up with in prayer. Listen to Paul's words to you if you've believed on Jesus. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, God's word says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings. Too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Here's the first truth I want you to take hold of here. It's that if you believe on Jesus, the Holy Spirit who dwells in you groans with you. If you are in Christ, you are not alone in your groaning. And this is lovely because God's not giving a groan of, oh, 
I give up. This is just the worst. No, no, no. That's not the kind of groan that, that God gives. You see, when we groan, it's because of our bondage to decay. It's because of our imperfection. But there is nothing imperfect about the Holy Spirit. Rather, the Holy Spirit identifies with our groans and shares a longing with us for something better. The Holy Spirit groans with you, but not just with you. I don't want you to miss the second truth that the Holy Spirit also groans for you. Do you see that? He, he intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Holy Spirit actually groans for us in our place. I don't know about you, but when, when I'm in pain, uh, when I am suffering, I often pray selfish and foolish prayers. You see, when the text says that the Holy Spirit intercedes according to the, the will of God, what Paul means is that God is, is not a cosmic vending machine in our suffering. Rather, it's that the Holy Spirit knows our hearts and the Father's mind so well that he is able to translate and transpose our prayers to the Father's will. Luis Palau, who is a, an evangelist and pastor reflecting on this verse, said that, that God, because of the Holy Spirit, always answers believers' prayers in one of five ways. Either he says, no, I love you too much. Yes, I thought you'd never ask. Yes, but not yet. Yes, and here's more. Or yes, but, but differently than you thought. So if you're in Christ, because you're not alone, Here's Paul's word for you. Pray. Pray knowing that you're not alone in your prayers. Pray knowing that God prays with you. Pray knowing that you are heard. God prays with you and God prays for you. If you think this world is broken, you're right. Sin and brokenness have ravaged the world, so things are not the way they're supposed to be. If you think this world is broken, you don't have to be alone. If you have the Holy Spirit, he groans and prays with you and for you. One more truth, though, I want you to see in this passage. If you think this world is broken, you're in for a surprise. Oh, I love this. I love the surprise of this text. Look at verses 22 to 25 with me. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You see, if, if all we can do is mourn the, the brokenness of this world, if all I can do is lament, if all I can do is groan, then Friends, we should simply indulge every desire. Even Paul says that. He says, listen, if, if we don't have hope, you may as well eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die. But this is not what the Apostle Paul does. No. Uh, the Apostle Paul doesn't eat his feelings uh, in pizza and chicken wings. He doesn't drown his sorrows with beer. 
Paul hopes. Paul sees hope as the remedy to grief in brokenness. Paul chooses to actually join in creation in its hoping. Look at verse 19 with me again. It's interesting. He says, for the creation waits with eager longing for what is to come. That phrase, eager longing, is actually one word. And it might be actually better translated if we understood it as kind of being on tiptoe. It's that, that the kind of tiptoe that a, a child has, that my daughter has, as she waits by the window for me to come home, waiting for me to come around the corner. That's the kind of tiptoe that it's talking about. Verse 22 says that, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Once again, happy Father's Day, but fathers, you need to know that we don't know the pains of childbirth. Listen, our our wives give birth. They have the babies. We don't really do much. Uh, One of my friends had uh, kidney stones a couple years ago. And so my wife and I went to to go and uh, care for his children when he went to go and deliver his kidney stones. Now, when my friend left his house with his wife to, to go to the hospital, I'll never forget his face. It was full of pain. It was full of grief. It was full of sorrow. He was pale. There was no joy. There was no anticipation over seeing these these little kidney stones that that he had created inside of him. That, that, That was not the case with my wife, though. As we were in the hospital and she was in pain, her her pain was filled with anticipatory joy. It was filled with excitement. You see, creation doesn't wait to say, oh, I just need to get this over with, get it off. Rather, creation is excited for what's to come, for God's peace and shalom to to be restored, for for the day to come that Isaiah described. The prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, the Tanakh, said that a day would come when the lion would, would lie down with the lamb. We might think now as our world is being ravaged by this bacteria that we call COVID, that the day when bacteria won't spread disease, but rather will just do what bacteria does and make cheese. When murder hornets won't do what murder hornets do, rather they'll pollinate stuff or whatever it is that, that hornets do. Paul says, listen, he says, I'm, he says he's joining the creation on tiptoe and we should as well, hoping in redemption. And, and what Paul does here is interesting because he paints kind of a threefold, threefold redemption for us. A threefold surprise, if you will. Look at verse 23 again with me. Verse 23 says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, he's talking to you Christians, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruit of the spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I said, it's threefold. It's a threefold surprise. First, it's the redemption of our divine relationship. And I imagine some of you who were with us last week are wondering, wait, what? I thought we were already adopted. What's the deal? Didn't you say in Romans 8, 16, that the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God? Well, you're right. You're right. But, but the focus here is, is only on the heart. 
He bears witness with, with our spirit. It's kind of the internal. But, but friends, we're, we're, we're not only minds. We're not only brains. We're not only spirits. Rather, we're, we're, we're full-bodied beings. Thomas Goodwin, a uh, 17th century Puritan pastor, kind of explained it this way. He wrote um, about one day as he was walking, he saw a father and son on the street. Suddenly the father swept the son up into his arms and hugged him and kissed him and told the boy he loved him. And then after a minute, he put the boy back down. Here's the question Goodwin asks. He says, was the little boy more a son in his father's arms than he was down on the street? Objectively and legally, there was no difference. But subjectively and experientially, there was all the difference in the world. In his father's arms, the boy was experiencing his sonship. You see, sonship is yours but the fullness of it is still to come. Right now, we have what Paul says are the first fruits. Let's highlight that word. Let's look at that there. First fruits. It's, it's a term referring to the feasts of Israel. Every year at the beginning of the harvest, the Israelites were told to go and gather the first fruits of their harvest and bring it to God. And in doing so, they were saying, God, we trust you. We are giving you this as a guarantee of all of us actually giving you all the rest and you guaranteeing that you are going to give us a harvest. What, what, what God is saying here when he says the spirit is the first fruits is he's saying, listen, I'm giving you the spirit as a guarantee of all that's to come. The full sonship that you will receive. You see, our surprise is the redemption of our divine relationship, but it's more. It's the redemption of our bodies. Let's not miss that. The redemption of our bodies. Paul says in this text that we await eagerly the redemption of our bodies. What does that mean? I imagine for many on Father's Day, it's a, it's a hard day. You think of maybe having lost your, lost your father or your inability to become a father. Maybe losing a child. Friends, the, the second surprise here for us, the redemption of our bodies says no more death, no more decay, no more COVID, no more cancer. This is what we have been saved to. This is what we await for in heaven. We get the redemption of our divine relationship, the redemption of our bodies. And I, I love this, the redemption of our stories. You see, that's the, the last big surprise in this text. And it's where our text ends. Romans 8, 28 says this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, th th this verse has often been misunderstood. Our, our text does say uh, that all things work together for good. Uh, and that might be misunderstood for us to think that, you know, everything kind of works out in the end. But that's, that's not what the text is saying. Paul is saying that God is working all things together for good. And not just that he's doing it willy-nilly, but that he's doing it for those who love him. You see, it's exclusive. It's purposeful. 
It's fatherly. See, if you're, if you're a Christ follower, the father is working for you all throughout Romans 8. We, we, we see this, this family language. We saw it last week in our text where we, we saw that the spirit testifies to our souls so that we can call out to God as Abba, Father, Dad. And now here, Paul's making the point that it's not just that we have a dad, but that we actually have a good dad. We, we've got a, in, in, in Christ, we've got a dad that works for us. Only a few weeks after we found out that my wife was pregnant with my daughter, uh, I found out that I was going to be losing my job at the organization I was working at. Uh, it was one of those last hired, first fired deals with a huge organizational layoff. And, and what, is a, what is a guy to do when he, when he hears that? When he's got a daughter on the way, he gets to work. I decided to get a job as an Uber driver. I picked up jobs doing language translation. I took a job teaching. I was working part-time here at the Moody Church. And at a certain point, I was working five jobs simultaneously. I did everything I could because I wanted to provide for my daughter who was coming. I was working for her good. But, but at the end of the day, I actually wasn't in control. At any moment, one of those jobs could have been snatched from me, just like the first one. You see, that's the, the good news of our good father. Nothing is outside of his control, and he is always working for the good of those who love him. He is able to, to work for good without anything hindering his work. So as we, as we look at the mess and our suffering in our world around us, we can know that God is working to redeem our stories. If you think this world is broken, you're in for a surprise. Now, I, I want to clarify, because I would hate for someone to, to walk away from this and say, oh, you see, God is working all things for good, and so it's our best life now. Everything is going to work out. At the end of it, I'm going to see how God was working it. Yes, that's, that's sometimes true. Uh, if you look at Job, he lost his health, his wealth, and his children. Uh, Job was a guy in the Old Testament, and in the end, he got it all back with an abundance more. Uh, there was a, a young man named Joseph who was put into slavery, uh, sold into slavery by his brothers, and then put into prison in Egypt uh, based on a lie. At the end of his story, he gets to be the right-hand man to Pharaoh and, and says to his brothers when they come to Egypt, he says, listen, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. He says, listen, all things work together for the good of those who love him. But that's not everyone's story. You see, the prophet Micaiah was sentenced to life in prison by King Ahab. John the Baptist was beheaded. The apostle Stephen was stoned to death for preaching the gospel. The apostle Peter was supposedly crucified upside down. You see, those who keep telling you that Christianity is an offer of your best life now are lying. If you are in Christ, this is a promise of your worst life now. And that's good news. As you look at the brokenness that surrounds us, it's not always going to be this way. This isn't the best it's going to get. 2020 isn't the mountaintop. It gets better. If you're in Christ, this is the worst it's going to get. And the best is yet to come 
as he works all things together for the good of those who love him. If you think this world is broken, you're right. If you think this world is broken, you're not alone. If you think this world is broken, you're in for a surprise. The grand narrative of the Bible ends in kind of an astonishing way. God doesn't actually fix the world. There's no gorilla glue, no sewing a patch on it. Rather, God recreates and renews it. You see, brokenness does not need to lead to hopelessness. The sufferings of this world are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. In the final book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21, uh, we, we see the apostle John gets a glimpse of that glory that is to be revealed. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. If you are in Christ, it's not now, but then where you will find your best life in the new creation, the redemption of all things. If, if you're still seeking, if you're still hoping for, for this life, if you're trusting that, that you can make this your best life, I promise you, you can and you will. But what of the life to come? God's word says, the good then is for those who love him now. Do you think this world is broken? This is what God offers, a future glory not worth comparing to present suffering. All things new, all things good for those who love him. Call out to him now in faith and take a hold of an amazing surprise, of an amazing hope. Would you pray with me? Holy Father, we thank you for this good word that you have given us. We pray today that you would break our hearts for what breaks yours. Fix our eyes, Lord, on the glory to be revealed and renew our minds as we trust you will renew and recreate this broken world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.